Hey everyone, Yas here and I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're going to have a fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favour to ask and that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends and don't forget to get in touch guys. Let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to. You can do this on Twitter at the coaches net. Once again, that's at the coaches net. And please make sure you do, as I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Anyway, on to today's show. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great day, guys. The Coaches Network. Hey, guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Yas, and I've got a very special guest with me today. My guest today is David Webb. Morning, David. How you doing, man? Morning. Morning. Thanks for having me on. No, I'm really looking forward to it, Dave. So, Dave, um, just really before we get into real thick and hard of the conversation, just uh, probably worth brief insight around who you are what you do and we can kind of really spin off from there because I'm sure it's going to go in loads of different directions anyway yeah yeah absolutely so um so I've been in football say I would say over 20 years now I've had a variety of good roles so backstory was didn't make it as as a footballer professional um, had a lot of brief spell at Crystal Palace and stuff but wanted to stay in the game but still my passion's always been sort of football coaching development recruiting so my first role was back in 2001 with AFC Wimbledon when they was sort of before they went to um before they folded as an academy coach then on to Crystal Palace as an academy coach as well worked really under 10s and 12s had some good success there because I sort of managed that's when I started going into the recruitment side of things as well because I noticed being a Croydon boy noticed from the area that there wasn't probably enough raw talent in. So I had some good success with players like Wilfred Zaha come into that, you know, um, Sean Scannell that were highlighted from the sort of local areas I managed to ball in that had good careers. From there, um, I went to my first stint at Tottenham. Again, academy focused, sort of ages range 12, 13s, working with teams, but also with a understanding of setting up a recruitment in South London for sort of nine to 16 as well, helping Tottenham sort of delve into those areas for their academy. Then my first full-time position, because both of those were sort of part-time, come at Millwall, but it was 2007 eight as head of coaching, that was sort of nine to 14s. Um, and that was also covered recruitment as well. Um, and that was a sort of a really good, sort of really good role for myself. It was my first sort of proper leadership role. Uh, I did my A license during that period, academy manager's license during that period, sort of 2007 and 8, and then managed to get over to Germany as a sort of a study visit by Leverkusen, and sort of went in there just sort of looking around the academy, see how they run, the business structures and philosophies and stuff like that. Got sent on a scouting trip. Uh, unexpectedly and from there um, Rudy Voller was a technical director then he sort of liked my thinking on player recruitment probably under 16s 19s because I was doing a master's at the time in sports psychology so 
when I was recruiting, I, you know, I always used to delve into sort of players' characters and sort of these areas, especially with young players as well. So they really like that way of thinking. So it was kind of weird because a side role to Millwall was in League One. I managed to do some consulting work for them, sort of scouting work, sort of 16th to 19th on top talent around Europe that they're potentially looking to buy. So that was, you know, that was that was really sort of really good learning experience for myself. Millwall then sort of lost its academy status, went to a centre of excellence. I sort of lost my role in essence, and I got made redundant. So my next role back in was 2010-11 with Southampton, and that was just pure recruitment, 16th to through to first thing. And I was there for sort of two years. Again, had some good successes in terms of player recruitment. Jack Stevens, Sam Gallagher, you know, they came through sort of that sort of that ilk as well. Um, that's when I first got to sort of meet and work with um, Pochettino and Paul Mitchell. So that that relationship was formed there. And then out of the blue, I got offered first team recruitment and analysis and sort of development at Bournemouth. I've just gone up to the championship from League One. This was 2013 with uh, Eddie Howe and his sort of coaching team. And it was to build a recruitment department, to build an analysis department, to go in line with sort of his coaching and playing philosophies. And during that sort of two-year period, we were really successful. The team got promoted to the Premier League. Some good players were sort of discovered through that, like Callum Wilson, Adam Smith, Dan Goslin, Josh King. Um, and it was accumulated for sort of a good cost around that period, um, which... And a lot of them have gone on to sort of have really good sort of further their careers on from there. And then I got um, a role back at Tottenham as head of elite development and identification, back to work with Poch and Paul Mitchell. And that was identifying players from sort of 17th to first team around the world at Tottenham and then also helping integrate players through to the first team. Again, a very successful period with players coming through um, like Harry Winks, Oliver Skip, and then some good players recruited into that, like Song, Trippier, Deli Alley. Some really good, sort of, at the time were um, unknown quantities in the market, but I've gone on to have really successful careers. After Tottenham, I moved up the ladder a little bit in terms of leadership roles, or a technical director role in Sweden with Ostersunds. I was just coming into the role when Grand Potter was just departing, so he was sort of coming and I was, as I was going. Um, I worked there for about a year. Really enjoyed that because that was sort of going back, like going back. I've been sport with Tottenham to have all the uh, high tech equipment, well staffed, 21 members of staff sort of under my sort of under my remit. To working with sort of the manager, working with like a few in the sporting departments and one scout. So even though they were competing in the top level in Swedish football, it was still sort of quite under-resourced in a way. So that was a challenge. But what attracted me to the project was was, the, was finding top talent that had been at academies, not just in Sweden, but across Europe, that had called them second-chance players that have probably had a taste of first team at 15, 16, 17, hadn't quite made it, gone on to maybe similar journeys somewhere else. I was looking for a first team sort of platform to execute their skills. So from that, we had an English contingent of um, 
Ravel Morrison came and played for us. Charlie Colkett, Blair Turgett, who's gone on to do you know very well, just won the league with a team called Hakan over there. So um, that was sort of the remit of that, and that was a real sort of challenging project. Sort of into my contract, Huddersfield about a year in bought me out of my contract quite early because I was in a bit of a situation where I'd just come down from the Premier League. It was a head of football role, so bigger remit, bigger challenges, club. I hadn't won in 20, championship club now, players wanted to leave, manager wanted to change, loads and loads going on. But again, that was a good, successful period. I did that until sort of 21, um, then took a break. Went on break for a while because I'd literally just gone job to job to job to job. And I was knackered, to be fair. So it was during the COVID period as well, which was quite which was quite good. Got some chances to spend more time with the family, seeing my daughter, he didn't live with me, stuff like that. And then I wanted to go back into my first love, which was coaching and working with players. Um, mm. that's, I'd had a chat with you know, some good managers, Poch, Eddie Howe, um, some other sort of real top figures within the game to sort of guide me and to say, look, this is what I wanted to do in the first place. It was advised that I probably would be you know, making a very good first team coach with all my years of experience. So I took the challenge on at York City. Um, for sort of a short period of time earlier on this year and that was a you know real insight into sort of first team management which I sort of kind of knew anyway but it was it was working at levels I hadn't been used to before so first team manager stroke everything else came along with it but it was a real good experience mm. probably um long story short no no and I think it's fascinating it's, you know it's, it's just wow okay so um a million dollar question here and I think you kind of alluded this right at the back end of it is so who am I talking to am I talking to a coach a guy that works in recruitment a director of football you know it's, it's fascinating right because there's so many different asset you know experiences that you've had and I'm sure they've all kind of culminated in one way or the other to kind of bring you to where you are today and then give you great insights and experiences across the game so let's start with that Coaching versus talent identification. What can one learn? What, what can one another learn from from each other? Even um, for me, they can learn a lot. I became fascinated with um, recruitment and talent identification back when I was coaching in academies, and it was a passion for developing and harnessing talent at its purest form. So, I think. When you're a coach or a first team manager, or you're you're around a sort of that team environment. It helps to have a, an understanding of sort of player development, player recruitment, at any levels whether you're recruiting into an academy, into a first team, you know, to a Premiership team, into a European team. And I think most coaches will have an understanding of how they want to play the game. They've got their own philosophies, their own ideologies of what they want to do. And sometimes I found that players don't often fit those sort of criterias but for me I kind of spin it a little bit and think well you know I do have a philosophy I do have a way of what you'd like to play um, everyone would you know an idea like to play sometimes circumstances don't present that but you have to have an understanding of adaptability so the recruitment that will be coming into your teams at, at that time you have to have an open mind because you're not going to get the players that always fit into your philosophies and the way you want to play. They're not going to be pigeonholed into those positions. So then you have to have an idea of, okay, 
how can I, I can see talent, but now how can I develop it in this environment? So I always look at it from where's the environment the player's coming from and what he's coming into. So those are the big sort of key factors with me. Obviously, there's loads. As a professional, you'd expect to know the understanding of the technical, tactical, physical, those attributes. If you're a professional at any capacity, you should have a, a real good grasp of that. But the environment really, for me, are the key. Where are they mm. coming from? What have they learned? What have their journey taught them? What are they coming into now? What What is this they're coming into now? How can we enhance that talent and that mm. development further here? Within this team structure, you know what what's going to benefit them as an individual, what's going to benefit us as a team. How can we sort of harness this to go further? So mm-hmm. I think having an understanding of sort of for me, I've got an advantage of recruitment because you know I've scouted all over the world, um, you know at the highest levels and also at academy level, championship level, um, European levels. So you see different players' journeys of how they can develop at later stages in different environments at different clubs. Often you've seen it where players can, they go to one club and the people judge them so they haven't quite made it, but then they can go to a different environment. So I think that's where really you have to do your work on that to really have a sort of deep understanding. So I think, you know, player recruitment is absolute key for what you're bringing into your sort of coaching or working mm. environment. See, and obviously you talked there about, you know, your experiences and really the insights of understanding where the players are coming from. It's, it's not as simple as that though, is it, Dave? You, you, you got to think about, you, know, you can you can have an you can have an insight on the type of environment you're expecting them to come from, but obviously the nuances that exist within that yeah. are very different to that. You know, the, the personality piece. I, I, you know, from a from your perspective, from a recruitment standpoint, how much work or what type of work goes into understanding the actual individual that you're bringing in, not just from a technical tactical standpoint, yeah. but actually from a, you know, just yeah, this is who they are as a person, and you know how much of that even gets considered, and what does that then look like and differentiate from an academy to then you know maybe that first team level? Yeah, it's a really good question. So, um, at Bournemouth was probably the best way to describe it. We had core values that represented the club and represented the first team. So, to a manager and to a first team coach. The dressing room is quite sacred, so the character piece is, is quite, you know, it's quite big because obviously they're going to be contributing into that environment. So you really have to do your homework. So once you identify, think right, okay, these are these are the so say we have we have five. These are the idea character traits that we are mm-hmm. looking for within the player that we're looking to bring into this football club. Now, how do we go about finding out those? Obviously, we can see by watching live, watching on wide scale, by examining the data, we can get an understanding of their playing and their work ethic throughout games. They give us some indicators to where they are psychologically. So then we have to go into a lot more detail. Okay, how do we identify the similar traits that this player can represent where he's coming from into us? So then a lot of work has to be undertaken with that in terms of um, a lot of references, a lot of background checks. A lot of a lot of character matches, even to stuff down to if it's a first team player, you know, are they family orientated? Are they, you know, are they is are they a single person? Are they? Is there any history on them? Is there any stuff on sort of their social media? Is there sort of a background? And we allow for all these different things because you know we're not looking for the perfect player that's got to be ideal. We might only want two or three of those, and the rest we can develop. 
because no one's perfect. And I think all we're looking to do is to tip the balance as much as we can in our favour. Hmm. And I, I guess on that, you know, I'm just start, my mind's going towards well, what does that mean for time frames, right? You know, over what period of time have these things actually been assessed? Is there is there pressures to you know, well, we're only going to have three months to do this, or is it you know? And I'm sure this is varied in so many different ways, right? But there's probably well, actually, do you know what? David's on his way out next season. Well, do we start the plan for who he's gonna who's gonna come and replace him then? And obviously, that's thinking with more of the first team mindset hat on. And then it might be actually more in an academy. It could be actually well, David's in the under 13s. He's he's a you know he's a centre mid in the under 13s, and yeah, he, he's not quite there yet. But by the time he hits 15, he'll be playing under 18s football. Um, so the guys who are in the 14s and the 15s. Are we just keeping them there as placeholders? Does that make sense? You know, how much of that kind of conversation yeah. takes place? Yeah. And does it even, you know, and, and then it, there's so many things that you can kind of look at, right? Yeah, yeah, there is. And obviously from an academy point of view, you don't want to stockpile, if you like. Um, because for one, you're looking to produce talent, you're looking to produce people, you're looking to produce players, ideally to for your own first team, if not to be capable of having a career somewhere else. So you don't want to, in an ideal world, you don't want to over sort of um, recruit in those certain positions. But then also at 13, 14, 15, you're looking at players that can be articulate and maybe play in one or two positions so they're not pigeonholed. So yeah. He's not, he's not at 13, he's not a definite centre midfielder. But yeah. how, how much of that, though, you know, comes back to also recognising actually, do you know what? We know we're at Crystal Palace, but we know Chelsea are looking at this one. Mm. Can we get in there before them? He doesn't really fit what we're going to go for, but he's going to be good enough to do something. But we don't want Chelsea to have him. How much of that goes on? Yeah, I mean, from my experience in the academy setup, it did. It did. It used to. Um, I don't know now because I haven't been involved in the academy for a while, but it did used to, especially within the London clubs. It was so competitive so competitive because London, especially Southland, is such a hotbed of talent. There's so many talented players and Chelsea are quite dominant as an academy um, production line. Arsenal had their periods for it as well. Fulham are quite strong. You know, Palace now are producing a lot of players that are going on to the first team. So I, I think I think now a lot of them are, uh, from what I'm speaking to some of them, are a lot more comfortable Mm. with their own academy and what they can offer and I think when you're looking to sell a player or looking to sort of recruit someone into your academy whether it be from sort of grassroots or another club your most important selling point has got to be your pathway through to the first team you know how you know how many players have got through to the first team or how many players they haven't got through to your first team how many players have you produced for other people's first team so they know that it's Okay, I'm here. I've got a really good chance. So it might not be the name on the badge. Mm. And that will also come down to a lot of parental control, outside interferences. You know, there's a lot of external factors that, you know, sometimes clubs have to compete with from from that side of things. So mm. it, it all depends really, but that's what that's what would always I think that's what always like the top ones should be measuring themselves for. Mm. You know, how many players we're getting through to to our first team. How many players we're getting through to everyone else's first team if they're not going to be for us? So say for Bayer Leverkusen, their model, but even back in sort of 2008-9, there was 
you know, I would say there was a head of the, head of the game. I don't know if that was just in German football, European football as a whole, but their system was right. Okay, we're spending five million euros on our academy each year, so we want to recruit homegrown talent. We want players within our international teams from 15s upwards. That was that was the main thing. They had a different playing strategy, so they believed playing for points rather than development. So they wanted to teach them how to win as well as develop. But their ideal was each year the pressure on the academy was you had to produce one player to be ready to play for their first team from the academy. And they called it one bubbling underneath that should be at least good enough to go out on loan, if not to go out on loan, with a view that if they do come back and they're assessed after a six-month or year period, then, okay, might be good enough for Leverkusen, but can we... Is there a fee involved maybe to sell them to a second division Bundesliga club? So again, and then there reinvestment back. So there was a real sort of business strategy and thinking mm. behind it. So let's let's take that then. You know, let's let's delve into the mind of David Webb, the coach. Now, you know, you've got that process that you talk about there. You know, developing a player for the first team and looking at the academy players and you know not wanting to stockpile, but making sure players are developing appropriately and they get, you know, you're not just grabbing players in because the other academies want it. What does it look like to develop a player? What, what's an effective player development process for you? For first team? Um, no, no, for well, starting off as, as, you know, starting off at the younger age groups in particular, you know, I think a lot of the stuff that you talked about, you know, really is about kind of YDP age group in terms of your own experiences, moving back into your own coaching experiences initially. Yeah. Yeah, um, so, and how's that then been an influence then you know going if you were to go back into working or get you know with the youth players now having your experiences from the recruitment world how has that maybe influenced or shaped your thinking around what coaching should look like yeah I, I think it went through I think sometimes especially during my coaching journey um, we used to follow trends. So what was the French doing? What was the Dutch doing? What was the Spanish doing? And maybe that was related to them winning big competitions and having this influx of players. So, but I think over the last sort of definitely over the last sort of six, seven years, England have become very strong, especially within the youth setups. So that means that the players have, um, a lot more players are being produced from, from academies to go out and compete in, sort of, in European competitions. So, I think what's what's happened is in an ideal developmental world, you want to develop the player. You want to develop also the young adult as well. I think that's key. And you, it's also teaching them a combination of sort of development, but also what it's like to maybe win. And I think that's what's been slightly different because if they get thrust into the first team at 16, that environment completely changes where it's you're playing competitive friendlies. But right now, you know, you're sink or swim. This is what you have to do. And for some players, I think the development, I think it's preparing them for that. And then if you have a real understanding of your sort of top assets within your sort of 14, 15, 16, that you think are going to start playing under 23s or train with your first team, then your, your development process changes. Then you've got to start preparing them from development where you're developing the player, the person, the young adult, to write, okay, now we need to add some more more to your skill stack. Now you need to learn how to win, you know, learn how to compete. Now you need to learn how to deal with failure and setbacks. Now you need the harsh reality of what it's going to be like to become a professional football player. If those are your assets that you think are going to be sort of go on, 
then they've got to be prepared early. You can't just thrust them in because you'll lose a lot more than you gain. I think it's a great point. It's a conversation I've had with a lot of coaches recently that, you know, we often go down the idea that, you know, developing and winning are two different things. Actually, no, I think part of the process is of development, getting them to understand what it means to want to win. And not yeah. that you've guaranteed you win, you're not always going to get it, but, you know, you need to actually go into it with a mindset of, no, I'm tr- we are playing yeah, yeah. to win, yeah. right? And I, and I think it, I think it can often get distorted in that, well, that's not a development. Well, no, that's fundamentally development because you're preparing them for the environment that they're then expecting to go into as professional footballers if that's the journey they're going on, right? Because, like you said, you know, if they're fortunate enough, they're going to be 16 and then, depending on what level they're playing at and what club they're in, there might be an expectation for them to go straight into the first team mm. and skip the under-18, skip that professional development phase and go straight in because that can technically, technically, they're there. But if they don't have that mindset, well, that's probably where it's going to break down because I think that mindset gives them that extra bit of um, tactfulness, resourcefulness around, right, how am, I, how am I going to get myself about this pitch? What can I do that's just going to give me that extra 1%, that little edge over the opponent? Is it being cheeky when the referee's not looking and then, you know, pulling on a shirt or whatever that might look like? Do you know what I mean? Those are the little things that, well, they're fundamentally part of that winning mindset, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it is making yourself um, more desirable to a first-team environment, more more competitive. And I think also, you know, clubs are educating the players and we've got to educate the, the parental piece or the guardians around them to say, look, you know, this is where we see your upward trajectory in the next two years. You could potentially be around our 18 to 14 or our, our 21 groups or even the first team. So... We're now going to start educating you. So this is what you play each week. You play competitive friendlies against very good other academy teams. But now we're going to start to educate you of what it looks like for when you potentially face that because that environment is completely different to this one. And, you know, there's going to be some harsh realities that come with that. And we want to try and equip you. Also from a mental capacity as well. If a player's not equipped for that, you know, he's... they can have the best talent in the world they're not equipped for that sort of thrust into it because there's no sort of touchy feely when you're in a first team environment it's at, you know it's, it's competitive even training is highly competitive you have to win yeah i mean it, my mind just goes to you know asking you your thoughts on will we better suited and better off with the, with the old reserve team system then potentially yeah potentially um, what, what do you see as the pros and cons of it yeah, I think obviously the under-21 systems had a lot of critique um, to say it's probably not competitive enough. In some countries, you look at their B teams or their second teams are playing in competitive leagues, especially in sort of Holland and Germany, and and I think that helps them because they're playing against you know some of their 18, 19-year-olds are playing against men on a regular basis. Um, and even my experience with, you know, York as a first team manager, when we looked to utilise the loan market, we took a young player, for example, Shaq Ford from Watford, um, from from Omar, really. Uh, yeah. Who, I, I, I remember actually working with Shaq uh, several years ago when I was at Watford myself. But yeah. yeah. So you you got an understanding of his, you know, his talent, and it was he come up to sort of York first 
move, loan move of a, you know, in a where he's going to be for a substantial period. He can have to move away and commit to that. So we have to find housing for him. So in talent-wise, yes, he's got the capacity to play that level. Of course he has. But there's so many other elements, you know, going into a first-team training room, which he had some experience with at Watford. But now he's now, but also on this experience, now he's, he's training and playing. He's not just training. So when he's out there, he's got to compete. You know, he's mm. got to do the other work. He's got to learn that what it's like to be kicked, to be sort of knocked off the ball, to be sort of yelled at in training by senior pros if his, you know, his standards of not ball recovery are not high enough. Because those are the harsh realities that sometimes I think are great learning experience for young players. And he did really well for us, to be fair. He scored sort of nine in 18, which was great. Um, again, it came down to that, sort of, like we said, that recruitment piece of understanding which players could potentially fit into your environment. Mm. So and I think and when I looked at some other clubs within that league as well. They were academy players as well from West Brom, from, from Tottenham, from Arsenal, from Chelsea. And it's not for all of them. You know, no matter how talented they are at their own academies, top academies, they're going to be playing on pitches, you know, where if they're not great, they're going to, you know, there's a lot of football where it's a lot of physical involved. There's a lot of rough and tumble. The facilities are not as good. The infrastructures are not as good. There's a whole different learning environment for them as well. So I think that's another path as well when we talk about talented young players. Learning, mm. so you mentioned the um, sort of reserve system. I think that's another great way if you think, okay, these ones are not quite ready for our first team, but maybe in a year if we just loan them out and they have a loan, only two loans at 18, 19, let's get them manned up in a way. Let's get them a taste of it. Okay, the football might not be the same, but the environment is going to challenge them. It's going to test. Yeah, I'm just thinking that or thinking, why don't I? You know, you, you've gone into that role as a first team manager. How, how does that then play a part in your thinking in terms of, right, okay, we've got this young player coming in. Fundamentally, I need him to do a job. How much of the, how much of your thinking goes to, well, still got to recognise he's developing and I've still got to support him with that? You know, w- w- what does that look like and how, you know, because there's a lot more pressure on it now, isn't there? Yeah, of course, of course. Listen, there's a pressure with, even if you're bought in a 25-year-old strike, mm. you know, especially with an 18-year-old um is there more leeway because they are i don't know uh, potentially yeah i mean listen I, I expect him to be an 18 year old you know young man yeah sort of think like that in a lot of ways so there's there is sort of a an element of allowance in that i spent a lot of time with him one-to-ones i wanted to get to know him personally um because he was quite sort of a let's say introvert he's quite shy when he first came in not on training but just in terms of vocally so I think the more he settled in, the more we got to know him, the more um, I integrated him with the captain and a few of some of the leadership team and players as well to sort of take him under their wing because I knew they were sort of really good trainers. So then they would be, you know, they could see he's extremely talented, but they would also be on him doing the other parts of the game as well, which I think he's going to need if he's going to have a career at championship or Premier League level. You know, that work rate, that... That, that that then periods in games when you're prepared to suffer and long periods without the ball, you know, how switched on can you be on all those elements. But I think you only know get to know if a player can do that if you get to know him personally. Mm. But then yeah. what, what what about from a perspective of, you know, you're talking about giving him leeway as a younger as a younger player from your perspective. 
what does that look like from them you know from you i guess managing upwards you know, as it, as the board or the chairman look at you thinking well yeah we, we don't care if he's younger we've got to get the job done yeah i mean there's an uh, always in every football club everyone's got their own ownerships and ceos have, and have always got their own perspectives and when they see it i'm i was lucky enough at york i had they had because of my recruitment background they had complete trust so they didn't really look at the age too much on that one yeah. they just looked at i mean he, he hit the ground running in terms of so made in, in a lot of ways he made it easy for me because he got a hat-trick in his second game so he was you know york's youngest player in history um to score a hat-trick so once he had that under his belt it was right he's accepted and and he became a fan's favorite very quickly and you know disappointed if he was taken off in games or he didn't start games all of a sudden he's gone from you know he's a young player with potential to wow you know he's our main talisman now he's scoring goals he's assisting goals he's making us play a different type of football and unlocking doors and you know and got attributes of players that we just didn't have at that level so it worked out really well so from that perspective i had trust from the board um just because of my background i think that really helped because mm. they, they was going to say, well, you know, if if you don't know which players to bring in, then you know, there's who else are we going to rely on? So mm. the age become irrelevant. And that's what I explained to him. The age is irrelevant. It's the quality and the attributes of the player and the character we're bringing in. We're helping him develop his game, but also he will bring, as well as we're helping him, he will also help us. So it's a sort of a two-way understanding. Yeah, and I'm again, I'm just going thinking wider now. You know, you've gone into that setting there. You talked about having a lot of experiences working in academy football, especially initially as a coach, then transitioning over to obviously working largely in talent ID and recruitment. There's going to be a lot of people listening to this right now that are probably in that space where they have an ambition of doing just that. Maybe not specifically going down the recruiting path, but certainly working at a senior level. You going into that, what are some of the key things that you're thinking, right, I need to have this in place straight away? And, you know, what what does it even look like to interview for that type of role? Yeah, interesting, um, because I think from this way, you have to have, for me, I had to uh, analyse the squad to death. So I watched loads of, I, when I went got to interview, I'd already watched the team, I think, 12 times of, through Y Scout um, and then live, a couple live as well. Um, just in preparation for it, um, I did a lot of homework around the city. And so, work. just for reference, there as well, is that is that once you've once it's been announced that you've got an interview, or is yeah. that in your preparation for application? Yeah, no, this was um, this is once I knew I had the interview. So there was a there was a window of about ten twelve days. So during that period, um, that's when I sort of watched loads. Of, having wise you know, allowed me to watch loads of games to find out as much as I could from sort of key contacts about the club, about the staff, about previously what had gone on, about the history. So when I came in to do a presentation, it was, I knew the shrimps and weaknesses of the squad. This is how I want, this is how I can take the squad forward. This is the areas potentially we might need to recruit. Um, I knew a little bit about the academy, that some of the up and coming players. So I said, look, this is, I want to promote academy from within. So I had a clear production line. I had some um, sort of values and characteristics that I think aligned with me. I think that I want to bring this into the squad. 
in terms of mentality and standards and just I, I think it was they were quite surprised because they said you know you, as well as the football stuff you come across very very different they've never had someone talking about human beings and players and I said look from my experience and obviously working with top coaches as well, you have to understand the person first, whether you're in football, rugby or any top level sport or working in elite working environment. You ain't going to get the best out of an individual or a team if you don't get to know them first. So I had plans of, I told them what I was going to do as well to sort of get to know the team better. So it was quite shocked by this and we implemented it well while we was in, while we was in there as well. And it was called like a hero, hardship to heroes type, type theme. So, when I first got the role, sort of jumping ahead a little bit, um, I announced we were going to be doing this to the group. And I said, look, I'll, I'll start it off so you know what it looks like. So I told my journey. And it wasn't just necessarily about football. It was about life. Some of my, you know, marriage breakup, being away from my daughter. So some, some, some setbacks, you know, it was quite, so I give them a chance to look at it. And they were sort of sat there with their mouths open. And then the captain said, well, I want to do mine next. So a week later, he done his. Again, very powerful pieces that he opened up to the group, got very emotional. And then players, all of a sudden, they get an empathy for each other. So all of a sudden, if they come into work every day, they train, there's competitiveness, there's camaraderie, there's banter, there's a little bit of, um, you know, like I'm better than you type environment sort of going on, typical football environment. But once they started to sort of open up and people think, well, I didn't know you had this going on in your life or you've suffered this or you've gone through that or, you know, we, we got through quite a lot. The coaches, I made the coaches do it. This, my first team staff do it. I did it. The players did it. All of a sudden, you see an uplift in training where people that would sort of click or train because sometimes in, in, in dressing rooms, they sort of click and they people get on with certain individuals better than other people all of a sudden everyone started interacting more which made training a lot more competitive a lot more intensive and a lot more players felt that they could talk to each other more now well actually you know I can talk to you more because you know you're actually a normal person you've had all this shit going on I've had all this shit going on we can like we can get on now so that was I thought that was really powerful so I said mm-hmm. I was going to do that during the interview and we executed it when I was in and you know it came it manifested really well. Mm. No, I think it's really, it's really, it's really insightful, and I think it's just, you know, just, just really highlights that that piece around just empathy, right? Because it literally, as you're speaking, it just made me think about a situation my wife went through recently at work. She, you know, she's come back off of uh, being pregnant, maternity leave, go back to work, and she was having a slight issue. She wasn't having an issue, but she was getting some um, animosity from one of the other members of staff, and then. Similar to what you just said, it wasn't in the same context, of course, but conversation took place where things were opened up and it's like, oh, actually, I never knew that was you. And it's like, well, actually, you know, as soon as you start to get a bit of an insight on who someone is and it, yeah. it you know, kind of just goes, goes to that old saying, never judge a book by its cover, right? Um, take a time to read the page first. So I think it's um, looking at that and then I think it's, 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 it's really insightful. So I guess, you know, what you're really talking about is, is this essentially setting an environment, right? Built, you know, starting to starting to develop a culture in some respects. Yeah. But you know, you've gone into that environment, you've gone into that situation. What what do you prioritize as as an outcome? Because obviously, you're getting judged on Result. that stuff's great. 
yeah. but if that stuff doesn't get gets us results on the pitch absolutely we yeah. don't care that was a bit just as we was going along um because i knew that would be, it was going to be done very quickly so the way i the way i've i've always worked and i've always taken this into my different roles as well it's always about the detail it's always about the extra one percent it's always about giving the extras and it's you know it talks about the standards and the work rates and training but it's always how you're going to implement that you know it's good you're talking it but you've got to deliver the actions so i think from day one you have to have a clear outline of okay i've analyzed this group so the players want to know what you know so on the first presentation they're looking at you about what do you know about us well one of the questions i was going to have for you i mean did you have to fight off any perceptions of well this guy's just a recruitment guy um, no, some of the fans, yes. Um, until I, I remember like a first interview when someone actually looked into my background and like, wow, I didn't realise you spent the last six, seven, eight years at first team level. And I was like, well, yeah. I said, well, we just thought you was an academy coach. And I was like, so it just goes to show people's perception. They they see what they want to see. And I said, well, no, not really. I said, I've appointed managers. You know, I've given managers directions. I've no, I've worked with managers, so I've been on the pitch, I've been a player, I've been a coach. Yes, I can recruit, but the recruit's only going to help because now I understand what needs to come into the building, what needs to go out to the building. Do you know what I mean? To make to make the sort of dressing room environment, the team better, more competitive, to to produce more results, mm. become more successful. Mm. And when and when it started to understand that. Um, no, I never really, I never really got challenged on that from players at all. It was more from a sort of small portion from the fan base, but mm. that sort of overrid itself a little bit. Once sort of Shaq came in, they was sort of like, well, okay, now he knows what he's doing because he's seen this instant impact straight away. And 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 sometimes you have to earn that. Yeah. You do have and to earn it, it a little bit. No, and what I'm hearing from even just what you shared there, and even prior to that, around that, it's the importance of those quick wins. Yeah. Those quick wins, those to get the buy-in and the credibility of the people around you. So you know, just tell us a little about that. You know, what, what obviously you had the, you had the process of trying to develop the culture and getting people to becoming more vulnerable, more empathetic for one another. What are some of the consider other considerations you put in there where you think how, how do I get some quick wins here outside of the results themselves? Yeah, I, I, I think first and foremost, what I did is I developed a leadership team and I let the players pick them themselves. So I didn't want to be coming as a dictator. And I think that was quite quite powerful because then the players can choose. They know they know themselves better than them. They sort of they know then I'm giving them responsibility. I, I think within the first sort of two or three training sessions, it was um, because of my experience and obviously seeing them worked and know how to sort of coach at a higher level i think that was the standards were set within the first two three days of how the training was going to intensify how it's going to work how the small details was going to done that every minute they was on the training field you know they were producing their maximum output so i think from a player's perspective in the first two three days the quick wins one of the quick wins was players were coming back after the training sessions and uh, gaffer can we have a chat and i was like oh, god i felt i've broken them and they were like, oh, this is, this is some of the best training we've had. You know, myself and, you know, the coaching team was, you know, was excellent in terms of that. We, we also give them, um, when we set up a group, we've given them a lot of information. 
um, which they had never previously had. Again, because we found that out that in the training before, and this is not to be from the previous regime because every manager does it different, but I work on information. So I want the players to be well informed of what we're doing, not just on the mm. training pitch. So some players are visual learners. They learn through training. Some players learn through chatting, some video. Yeah. So they had all information on the group. So, so we would put the sessions on, the schedules on, everything was detailed, bang, 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 bang. And what we were doing is saying, right, okay, we're giving you all this, but you're ultimately responsible for executing it. Mm. There's no excuses now. So players can come back and go, right, okay, I didn't know the schedule for this, didn't know what we were doing for this, didn't understand that. Everything was detailed and done. So yeah. it, 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 it's sort of getting rid of that no blame, no excuse culture. Well, I think I think it's you know it's really it's really positive because um, essentially you're making them more accountable and I think that's the fundamental piece, right? And uh, yeah, I remember yeah. speaking to a group of coaches and just you know just just share a bit more insight around the type of work I do. I'm I'm heavily involved in coach development, and um, one of the things I always say to coach, look, well, no one's ever going to blame you for what you don't know. Yeah. But once you know something, you don't do anything about it. Well, it's now your fault everything's your fault from that point onwards um and you've got to try and get to know as much as the um, as much as you can as possible if you really want to succeed in this life so you know in your case you're saying to the players look i'm going to give you everything you need i'm going to show you everything i'm going to tell you everything to ex- what you're good and i think it's so important especially on a match day and going into training do the players know exactly what you're going to go after in the session yeah if they know what you're going after well guess what you're giving them a platform to get get a head start on it Whereas if they're trying to figure it out while a session's going on because you haven't given them enough clarity and then you're, you know, and as a coach, you're looking and say, well, they're not getting it. Well, did you tell them what they're trying to get in the first place? Have you given them the clarity? Or you say, no, I'm just going to help. You know, they they should. It's like that old saying, right? Never assume because, you know, you know, you know what they say about that. Right. And it's just it applies here more than anywhere else. I'm thinking, don't just tell your players what you want. Tell your players what you expect. And if they don't get it, let it be because there wasn't enough clarity on how they've understood it, rather than the fact that it wasn't given to them in the first place. Absolutely. And this is and this is what we give them. And I wanted to give them a different a multitude of ways of taking information in. So training is always going to be the main piece because players, you know, they want to enjoy training. They're going to learn subconsciously through training. Mm. Then you can, you know, when it comes to analysing opponent, so it has set ways of, right, okay, day before a game. The presentations weren't that long because what I was conscious of was, well, an overused voice, my overused voice all the time. So I wanted it to be more powerful in certain situations than others. So when it comes to analysing opponents, it was eight to ten minutes on the screen, a snapshot, this is there, some of their attacking or defensive that we're going to go after this is this is how they play this is our structure what we've been working on all week this is the framework you've got it all now within the group you've got the understanding of it from a tactical point of view from a, a from a player point of view and then you start to understand your role so when it comes mm. to saturday you're not delving too much on overloaded information mm. it's just very very small reinforcements because mm. the bulk of the work should have been done during the week Mm. Um, so just on that then you know let's look at the bulk of the work what what does that look like like i said there's gonna be a lot of people like you know trying to think about well 
How does the academy system or youth development differ to that of the first team environment? What do they really work on within the first team settings? What's really important? Obviously, yeah. it's really subjective because you're going to have your way um, and obviously going to have theirs. But what, what, what does that look like for you? What's a typical week in a first team environment at that level? Yeah, so for me, ultimately, the bulk of the, your work for any football club in the first team environment is done in pre-season. You've done pre-season, so you outline your, your your playing methodology, your playing style, your recruitment. Everything is geared to how you want to play as a football team within that period because you're playing friendlies, you, you're, you're getting used to your systems of play, you're setting standards, you're getting into players' minds, you're building that camaraderie and cohesion. When it, came, when it comes, especially being in the English system, then you were in the National League and even the NFL leagues. Then it becomes Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. And it's a roll around the games. So then, for example, if you played on the Saturday, you might have Sunday off. Monday will be very light. Game Tuesday, Wednesday off, preparation for the weekend. So the bulk of your work of how you want to play should be all done within that pre-season period. And a lot of the work when you're during the week is is against the opponents you're going to face so you've got your understanding uh, bedded in or a lot of it should be bedded in and then you're sort of reinforcing it with sort of various training patterns but the bulk of the work is analyzing the opponents for me was analyze the opponent look at how they're going to play look how we can exploit and dominate them through through play through the game look at their strengths and weaknesses look at what we've got and how can we counteract and you know get success or score goals or stop goals so Typically, that's how it would sort of break down throughout the week. So there was a lot of sort of, um, if there was sort of a game where it needed a lot of correction on a Monday, there were certain things that just are not working well. If it's a consistent thing, then it needs to be worked on. But a lot of the stuff throughout the season is the preparations for the opponents you're going to face with a little bit of how you're going to exploit and with the work you've already done previously. Mm, mm. So then just building on that then, how, how much of that was... Um, derived from your own experiences and how much of that was maybe influenced by the likes of Poch and Eddie Howe in terms of what, you know when you previously worked for them in terms of well, actually yeah that that bit really aligns well and that works well um, in terms of in, in regards to what you want to achieve. Yeah, it's you know I was fortunate enough to understand a little bit from Eddie. Eddie's, Eddie was a very I'd say he was a teacher on the training pitch, very articulate, you know, very very clear with his instruction and his words and a nice calm nature about him. Um, different in the change rooms if it needed a different voice or a different output, but that was generally his nature. But he had a very clear playing philosophy that was set in. So if all players knew their roles and jobs. So I thought that was first and foremost you need to do. Parts the same as well. Um, and then it was, once a, once a training schedule was in place, it was about the man management of, of your squad, your team, because um, not everyone's going to play every game due to injury, injuries and fixture congestions or, or current form, or that you might need a different way of playing against a certain team, different system to execute your, you know, the best qualities for your team. So it was the man management of how you explain to the players that maybe not be playing, that they're on the bench, that maybe sometimes not even in the squad, that, you know, how, how do you explain that? How do you do that? And I think, the one thing I, I took, and I thought I sort of took it from my character, is always be authentic and honest, even if it's the news they don't want to hear, um, but i.e. they're not playing, or they need to work on certain things to regain a place, or 
their attributes are maybe better suited for Tuesday, not Saturday. They might have to rest this one. But I think if you're honest and clear of them, we try to, again, have as much information as we can. So when you have those conversations, okay, you can talk to them through your words. They also have to like have some footage and some data behind that to say, look, here's some, here's some evidence from me from, as your manager of why potentially, but also some some tangible evidence through video, through data. Yeah. Through found that now you have some stuff to work on. I, I think that because it's so important, right? And it's something I've been discussing with a few coaches around individual development plans and things like that recently. It's like, a bit critical at times of the academy systems in, in the way they do this in that it seems to be a standardized standardized approach not only within academies but just generally like this is how it, this is how it should be done well actually yeah. if it's really an individual development plan surely it should look different for everyone absolutely um yeah, absolutely. I, I get i get that to an extent you need to have a standardized process because in terms of audits and things like that it just makes things a bit more seamless but there needs to be more freedom and creativity around what that looks like and then you know beyond that it's a challenge how often does the individual development panel player gets within an academy program in particular actually get backed up by evidence or is it just an observation hey i've seen this okay you've seen that but let's look at the footage back and it might actually tell us something very different and it's just going off your recall rather than actual objective pieces of evidence or footage or data, if that makes sense. I don't know what your thoughts or experiences are around that. And yeah. how yeah. how does that how you know how has that been different from what you've experienced here in England in comparison to the other clubs that you've maybe had experience with abroad? Yeah, I, I think the best way to sort of um, explain that is was it by a labour cousin? Sort of back then when I was working sort of full time in the an academy system here in England, and it was the whole um, evidence piece would probably educate me more to think right okay it's not just a conversation with the academy manager and the coach to say okay you're not playing are we going to be released or you know you're delivering some sort of news which is not going to be you know very helpful to the player. You think right okay theirs was because it was so efficient obviously the german efficiency but it was so efficient right they had they had the information they had little bits of data they had video footage and and what they did as well which i thought was really clever is they had what they called age appropriate coaches so for example an under nines coach would be quite young sort of maybe sort of late 20s and I was, and I was asking questions I said you've got to be relatable to the age group you've got to be relatable so they made it age appropriate within the within the age group so as a first and foremost and then the coaches their educational background as well so they see the 11 to 12 transition into 11 aside football as the most important role up until the age of 18 so that coach then was probably the they would say the most skilled in transitioning players from nine side or eight side into that into that so i would say they did a lot of work on coaches to deliver what they wanted throughout each age group which made their jobs a lot easier so it's a lot more subjective so they did a lot of staff recruitment to help develop the players to try and get their you know coach character match within the appropriate age groups 
and that's what I thought, wow, this, uh, you know, I thought it was really in depth of how they did it. And, and just building on that then, you know, a brief time at, at York as, as manager, do individual development plans play a part in that process for you? What does that look like? Is it is it different? Is it a bit more uh, informal in, in in its entirety? Yeah, I mean, I did a lot of one to ones where you know I was creating profiles of players, so I'd have all their footballing um, statistics, sort of footage from games, the data that you know because data can be very sort of outlined, you know, can be very subjective in terms of okay, how many passes, how many dribbles, how many this, so. Again, what I learned with data, especially at Tottenham, was be very, very nailed down, specific of what data means to your football club. So it's got to identify the way you want to play. So when you're doing, when you're analysing games and players, that the data you're using is the correct data for your for your club, the way you want to play, your ideologies. And then to compensate with that, you have um, all their character information as well. So you become a whole profile on the player. And then that gives you an idea of when you're, it's not so much as sort of with academy, okay, this is your IDP, this is what you could go away and work on because these are grown men. So they don't sort of operate a little bit differently than that. But when you have these conversations with them, I think the most important thing is that they, they know you know them, you know their game first and foremost. Um, what you're going to do for them, you know them as people. So what you are asking them to work on, or you know, this is so this is a plan where you, we need you to do more of this in games, in these areas. They then trust you, so it becomes more of a trust, a trust thing, because as men, or you know, as women in the first team environment, the relationships become more key, because there's not an age group system, there's not a progress system where they're going to jump from 14s to 16s to 18s this is it now for them they're in a first team environment win or lose every week win lose or draw so obviously most every team wants to win okay so how so how is that going to look like for us so each player's understood yes they want to improve as players but they also understand that okay i'm in an environment where i have to win and especially if you work in the national league they get off a very short contract so what i noticed was a lot of them work to say like um, like tradesmen that they're, they're like they're, they're working for their next job because they're on short contract. So I would say the work rate was already there and it was just about they really wanted to learn and improve. If they enjoyed it, then they would really work hard to try and get another contract with that club. Mm-hmm. So a lot of them had that inbuilt mentality to want to learn and want to work. Mm. Just just in total, then how, so how, how long was your spell there exactly? Uh, about three months. Looking back at that three months, obviously in hindsight now, is there anything that you think you would have done differently if you went back in again? Yeah, loads of things. Um, I say loads of things. I mean, the first two weeks, unfortunately, when I first got first appointed, I, I had COVID. I was in the hospital for two weeks, so obviously that couldn't be helped. But maybe I went back sort of two weeks too early just for the enthusiasm because I felt the team needed my presence there so maybe not looking after myself mm. to be not to say looking after myself first but looking after myself to be in in your best be place yeah after others so mm. uh, but because of my eagerness and obviously I felt you know I did want my assistants to so we didn't have a big staffing structure so 
um, you know, support, especially on the training pitch as well. Um, I felt the support that they needed, sort of my presence there. Mm. They needed, because even I did a lot of work from the recovery period and from the hospital side. It was, so I'd say that was a key thing as well. Um, that, that was one of the major things. And yeah, I, I think when I look at it again, you know, it's always a learning experience. Mm. So there was loads of sort of little things I could have done uh, training for longer or shorter on certain days. I could have what, done what, what, what would make that decision for you in, in terms of if you had to look back now, what, what were the moments that you felt, do you know, we should have gone a bit, bit longer there or actually that one was a little bit too long? Like what, what, what were you using as a measurement of observation in that respect? Yeah, I think when you, I think, I think what, what I didn't fully anticipate for, which was when you come in halfway through a season, it's completely different from going in for pre-season. Right. You're usually when your manager comes in at that part of the season, it's usually because the team's underperforming or, right. you know, just had a really good successful period and gone elsewhere. Yeah. So, um, again, it was probably getting more understanding of where they were physically and mentally to know to know where we could because obviously I've got I have my own ideas of what how I wanted the squad to look like and develop and play but sure surely that's a that's a really difficult thing to get an insight on right um how would you have done it so I, I probably would have I, I think to get the quick win piece I maybe would have changed the style yeah. a little bit and gone a little bit more direct and got more wins straight away Right. Okay. Using the attributes of the players, and then started to feel build in the way we wanted to play over a period of time, right. rather than trying to sort of set that quickly from the get go. Yeah. Yeah, because you can look as much as you want in the video, but until you're actually working with the players day to day, then you start to know what they can really do and how they can yeah. really play. So if you are if you want to play out from the back and you haven't got the players to do it. Mm. Well, there's only certain players to do it, or one or two, then if they become injured, you know, what's your plan B? So it's having sort of multiple contingency plans all at once. So mm. I think if I did it again, if I was coming at that point again, it would be about what's the assessment, what's the need of the group, what's the need of the things, just to try and get results really, really quickly. Mm. That would be mm. sort of the, the aim of mine was to come in, yes, to get results quick, but also to try and integrate a different way of playing. Yeah. Um, the congestion fixtures and because of the time frames and everything else sometimes that doesn't always correlate so yeah might look to tweak that and do it slightly differently yeah yeah you know, it kind of just sparks two thoughts in my head really you know you used the phrase there about quick wins and it's a question i was going to ask you so you know going back into that process where do you think you could have got some more quick wins you know it's probably the first part of my question and the second part is how considerate are you of the fact that actually you go in there yeah, you've done your research, you've watched the 12 games, you've looked at what they've got, but how considerate and open are you to the fact that actually I don't want to disrupt what's already happening in there. Yeah. So I don't want to drop certain players. It, it does, is, is that even a thought that's in your mind? Because you've maybe seen something that maybe that wasn't being utilised or there might have been some hidden agendas of the previous coaching or the previous regime on those types of things while certain players have been left out. And you know. Yeah, yeah, I, I think... First of all, I think the good, a positive thing when you first go in is everyone wants to play. So everyone wants to impress, um, yeah. work hard, impress, you know, put on put, put on their best performances in training. That drops off because it's hard to maintain. But so that, that's always a positive thing. How, how long does it take before that drops? Because they say, you, you know, you, you can fake it for the first maybe 60, 90 days max. Yeah. And then uh, your true self comes out. 
I think because we had a big squad as well. And what doesn't help is you've only got five substitutes. So sometimes you're leaving six, seven, eight players out. Right. Team senior players. Right. Um, so the first thing I had to do was right assess, uh, as well as all that, is right assess, okay, which players are going to be get more game time regularly, mm. which players are going to need quickly, which players are going to utilise to get results, which utilise, okay, so how can I be fair to the other players? So to get to get to try and get quick wins off the ones that are not playing because obviously they can you know they can sometimes not through their own fault mm. but they might not be putting in as much as other players because they probably know they're not going to play so right so you can try and get them out alone quickly yeah not to move them away from the group just for their own they need to play they need to I get think, minutes yeah yeah and i think for me you have to explain it to them quickly and say look you're going out alone i need to make assessments really really quickly um, I'm going to be completely honest with you at this stage. Yeah. So I think you could be part of this club for, for next season. But the assessment I have to make now is if you can go out and get some game time, I will watch all your games and we'll have regular feedback and then you'll mm. come back in the pre-season. Yeah, as honest as it is, as blunt as it is, that's the conversation. Yeah. I don't like that, obviously, because they want to play for the team that they're in. But also but trying to, I think in many respects, though, Dave... Up, Surely some players just appreciate it. Do you know yes. what? I don't. I don't like what you said, but I respect you for telling me exactly where we're at. Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. Like there was, there were two players in. Obviously, I'm not going to name names, but because I'm fair on them, but there was a couple of players in there that sort of really understood it and said, okay, yeah, I, I appreciate your honesty. I don't like it, but I will go away and I'm going to come back and prove to you I should be in the first team. Great, great attitude. Well done. Yeah. There were some players that would justify, well, I'm better than him. I'm, you know, he's, I've done more on this. You look at my staff. To the, and you can sort of get a sense of their characters a little bit. Um, uh, it, were, you, were you ever swayed by that type of stuff? And maybe they, they, they shed some light and some insight that maybe you hadn't had an opportunity to kind of get in on yourself yet? Yeah. And this was to explain. I said, look, you know, with some players, I say, look, I can see you. I need to watch you more in training. So you're going to have to be patient over the next couple of weeks. Right. Or I can sort of consider you within that sort of starting lineup. Yeah. This is this is from my analysis of outside in. This is where I see the starting sort of team or squad at the minute with the current fixtures we got going ahead. So some of the other players say that there is competition for you to get in, mm. but you're going to have to be patient over the next few weeks. Some players, they said, just said, might say, right, okay. I can't see you getting in between now and the end of the season, bearing in mind mm. it's December, season finishes in April. So for four months, you don't want them just hanging around the squad, mm. just training. Yeah. It wasn't really to have, um, York didn't really have sort of a second team. So there wasn't even a chance to play competitive friendlies against other teams, second teams. Sure. So they're not going to get game time there. So they then need we to go have out. a loan for them as well. Um, at sort of same level, or maybe mm. it might be sort of a level below, but at least it's regular the, minutes. Yeah, but you're getting regular minutes. That was the aim. You're getting minutes. And yeah, you know, what what I'm really hearing from you, then you can correct me if I'm wrong. It's just it's just really about managing expectations, isn't it? Absolutely. Just having you know having that 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 personal interaction where they understand that like, look, this isn't personal. Yeah. I've got a job to do, and I'm looking I'm looking out for you as much as I'm looking out for myself in terms of the overall team. I'm potentially open to having you involved and I want to give you that chance but where I, where I currently see things you're not there and this is what I'm looking at 
I'm, I'm conscious though. Did you ever have any situations within that where, yes, you've said to the player, well, I'm going to need a bit more time to observe and assess where you're at. Did any of those moments actually turn, turn and change your perception of what you initially thought? Yeah, because then, then you're looking for a reaction in a way. You're looking for a reaction and you want players to come back and they don't want them to go, OK, yes, OK, that's fine. You want you, but for those ones, it's, you, you know, you want ones to go, right, OK, now I'm going to go away and show you. Yeah. And this is what I'm going to do. And <laughs> they start to do, it's the ones that do the extras that really catch your eyes. So, you know, the way they, are, they articulate themselves in training, the standards that they're setting for themselves. They're doing a little bit more after. They're getting there a little bit early before. Mm. And then they, once they get back into the team, then you're looking at, can they maintain that? Or is that just a show to get back into the team? Mm. Because I think then, you know, we all want to play. I think when we were, we, we were players, we all wanted to play. We all want to show what we can do. But then you have to maintain the consistency. So it's not a, a quick motivational fix. Yeah. It's the consistency of doing that day in, day out, day in, day yeah. out. I think reinforcing as well that, that even though there's individual needs to be met from the players, but ultimately it's a team game. Mm. Ultimately, football is a squad game. It's a team game. And, and I, I'm just thinking out loud now. I'm thinking to myself, you know, we're talking a lot about managing there and managing expectations. But do you, do you think, and I've got my own view on this, but do you think enough is done at youth development to really prepare players for that? Because fundamentally what we're saying is, yeah, you're part of the squad, but you're actually you're, you're in the bottom three. You're not, you're, not, you're not the first name on a team sheet. Do you think there's enough done at youth level to help players understand that actually that could be you? And it's not to say you've got no you've got no quality, you've got no ability, but actually in comparison to the rest of the group, you're at the bottom of the group. Um, That's a really good question. Um, it's hard to say without knowing sort of youth level and clubs going through to put like a final... Yeah, team. I mean, well, I'm, I'm just thinking more from a perspective of there's such an emphasis on getting equal game time and this and that. And yeah. I don't know whether that that serves. I get it up to a certain age, right? Because you want to give them enough opportunities. But at some stage, and my opinion is that it should be around the 15, kind of 16 age range. Um, and maybe even back in the under 14s, because reality is we're getting to a point now where you are seen quite commonly. Um within a couple of years of being 14, so they're now 16, some of these guys are getting thrown into the first team. Yeah, absolutely. Or they're going into squads where actually they were the best at under 14 or they were the best at under 15. But actually now you're just going to be a bit part player and you're going to have to deal with that. And I, and I feel like they're not ready for that. And it's not there's maybe not enough open and honesty from coaches up to a certain point um, in prepping the players for actually understanding you're not the best. You're good. You're good enough to be here, but you're not the best. So what does that mean for you and how you operate as an individual, if if that makes sense? Mm. Ultimately, then you're giving them accountability, aren't you? You're giving them accountability and say, right, OK, you're giving them a platform to work on. You're giving them something to think about. Mm. And I think if you've got, again, evidence to back that up. So as you as a, you as a coach is thinking, right, OK, you've, so you've educated the player. This is where you need to be. This is going to be the harsh reality. Mm. I think which has maybe helped over the last few years is if you're a 14, 15-year-old and all of a sudden you're going to play for England or an international team at 15, 16, you're going from developmental football into then tournament football where you have to win. Mm. 
and I think I think those experiences can shape you really well. So I think it's, and then and then if you say right, okay, you've been involved in that. Now you're going to get thrusted into the first team. I think you have to have that honest conversation, um, the coaching staff with the parents, with the player, with the support staff, and maybe even a member of the first team staff to say right, okay, we're going to give you um, an insight of a harsh reality of what it's going to be like in a first team environment mm. this is where we see you now and this potentially could be your way but we want you to understand it early so if a situation arises within the next 12 to 18 months you've got some sort of mental preparation in advance for that mm. whether it's being done enough or not i don't know it's obviously probably an argument for no it's probably not um, in some cases, you're probably seeing young players who think, well, yes, because they look like they've been prepared. So, but it's always, listen, you can always do more. You can yeah. always do more on the character side and the psychological side of transitioning development, then into winning, into a first team, into tournament football, mm. where it's a complete mind shift change. Mm. If you don't educate, start educating. You said about 15 for me, even earlier, 13. Yeah started to think as soon as they start to eat you start to sort of drip feed it in you don't yeah i mean i i agree i think it should be coming in from 13 14 but you know I, i'm open to the idea that people can kind of if we went down a, a view of a standardized approach of when should this actually come at least 15 yeah at least yeah because some of these guys within the next 18 months 24 months they could they, they're going to be expected to play in a senior environment absolutely yeah absolutely and and the more they're educated, mm. the more they understand it, the more that, you know, they've got a grip on that. Yeah, you just, it's, well, you're just putting them in reality, isn't it? It's putting them in reality and it's also preparing them for failure. And, yeah. And saying, right, you go, and, and it's okay to fail. It, exactly, but at least, at least we're letting you know where you can fail. Yeah. This could, this could happen. So let's, let's, let's start prepping for it now rather than saying we're going to cross that bridge when we come to it. Because by then, you've missed out on two years prep. Or three years prep, or you know, however wish wish to bring it in. Now, now like I said, in that, a lot, a lot, a lot of that's around managing expectation. Um, largely, obviously, managing down as the, you know, being the person of leadership. What, what does it look like managing upwards now in terms of you, know, you, you, you coming into an environment? There's some expectations that are placed on you, and you're placed on the expectations of someone else to kind of make sure you get your expectations met. Um, what does that conversation look like? You know, how often are you maybe having to check in with those above you, and how do you manage that? Yeah, very, very good question. That a very good question. Um, it all depends on your management, your owner, and your board. Mm. But I think what I like to do, what I like to do, especially at York as well, is, is um, a really good friend of mine, sort of Damien Hughes, who does a performance broadcast. He said, Look, this is a piece of advice, you know, I'm going to give you as well. And I thought this is it's going to be interesting. He said, It's almost like an unwritten contract of expectations. So, during before you get down to the degree of working, these are my expectations. So what's it going to look like if I don't win three or four in a row? What's it going to look like if this happens? What's it going to look like if this happened? Have I got stability around this? Have I still got trust? Have I still got your buy-in? Are we results orientated for quick wins? Are we in this for the long haul to build a club culture and to get success and an environment? Are we looking at produce players? I think. It's like an unwritten contract and you sort of have those written down and you kind of more or less get them to agree during that mm. stage and go, right, okay, 
So if another conversation comes where we've lost four in a row, and they sort of ask why and go, well, I preempted this might happen. We've already agreed this. We know what that might look like. Now we know what this might look like. We're mm-hmm. still, if you look at, I think, and I think as well, if you look at the, some of the top managers, they all go through periods or any manager, they all go through periods where they have, they lose a few games, everyone gets jittery, then they win a few games and then everything's all right. But I think the clubs, from the ownership and the relationship with those, whether the manager or head coach, if you've got those alignment and agreement in place early and you sort of, you know, you're, you're saying that this could this could happen. I'm not going to guarantee we're going to win 20 games. I'm going to guarantee that we might win these games with what we've got here. And, this, and if we're looking for a long-term project, this is how we're going to build. This is what we're mm. going to do. But this is a period of time it's going to take. Are we all on board with this at the beginning? Or are we going to sort of chop and change when results don't go our way? Because to get a long-term successful mentality, culture, environment, whichever way you want to look at it in the club, it needs to be done over a period of time. So you've got your quick wins, you've got your buy-in, but ultimately you still have to have that long-term plan ahead. Whether you get that in football or not, I don't know. But what you want to try and do is, with, especially with an ownership or the board, the CEO, the sporting director, is to have that sort of in that unwritten contract early. So you've got those principles and agreement in place. That if this happens, mm. this happens. This is where we are. We don't panic. Keep going. Yeah, I think it's it's just that it's that old phrase that we like to use in coaching, and you know, planning for the what ifs. Mm. You know, having an awareness and understanding what could occur, what might not occur, and you know, really just checking in and making sure that you know there is a plan for the what ifs. Absolutely. And there's an agreement as to what you know what the action is going to be that's taken, so that you know, in the in the spur of the moment, the heat of the moment, in emotional times, you don't think, oh, wait, there's a rash. There's no, no, hold on a second. We we've planned for this. This is what we said we're going to do when this happens. So let's stick to that plan yeah. rather than making rash decisions because we forgot what the actual plan was. You know what I mean? So I think you know, that piece is really key. Um, David's fascinating, man. Loads of different insights, loads of, you know, um, I'm just thinking, come back to the question, well, what, who am I talking to? Is it, am I talking to someone from a recruitment or coach, a manager? Coach, I would say coach. Coaching was always my first passion. Um, yeah. was always my first passion. Recruitment kind of helped me in a way and I, I was quite fortunate enough to be gifted at it without it was like it was like watching moving chess pieces around like it yeah sometimes I could it just, just watch players yeah and without having the sort of data and the insight and the knowledge you just got it you, it's a natural understanding yeah. as well and I worked with a performance coach recently and he sort of said you know it was diverse it was recognized that I was sort of like neurodiverse so with the way I think, the brain patterns are not, they're just completely different. So you've got neurological, which is or typical, which is, you know, logical type brain, or very creative type brain. Yeah. Because I'm a little bit um, sort of dyslexic and dyspraxic in certain ways. But when it comes to things like this, it's just sort of a natural thing. So the recruitment just became a natural byproduct. And I could do it quite comfortably. Um, and a good, really good success from academy level all the way through to first team. But ultimately, yes, it was always, always coaching, coaching, always coaching, always working with players. Final question then. What next for David Webb? Yeah, I would love the opportunity to go back in as head coach or first team manager 
uh, a good club for me because I've worked at some really big clubs. So the name on the badge is, is less important. It's about the environment. It's about the project. It's about, um, you know, are we aligned? So I think that's very important for a head coach and a manager to go in because you're going to be obviously the face of a lot of things. Is he aligned with the club's values? Is he aligned with the, you know, with the owner's objectives? All those things have got to marry up. And is it the right project for me? And do I feel that my skill stack is going to contribute a lot of success? And I think a lot of honesty around that. So those are the things that I'd be looking at before making the decision. But yeah, definitely sort of head coach management role would be awesome for me. Awesome. And I said that was going to be the final question, but I've got one more actually. Got a coach listening to this right now. He's thinking, actually, I want to be the next manager of a first team. I want to go into it. That's the pathway. Or even if they were just starting out their journeys at the moment, what will be the, you know, the one key message that you want them to kind of walk away from this with? I think it's probably a couple, really. So always be yourself. So be authentic. Be you, you know, whatever you are, be you. Because, you know, especially in a first team environment, because you'll get found out pretty quickly if you're not yourself. It's, that's just a harsh reality so don't try and be another coach or someone different just be yourself and the qualities you bring and you know be prepared I always say be prepared to take the pain you know prepared mm. to take the knocks the resilience um have that fortitude to sort of fight back when things are not going wrong so football's quite a brutal industry so if you've got you know have your body armor on and be prepared for the knocks, but but take the knocks as learning experience rather than setbacks. Mm. There you have it, guys. David Webb. Now, thank you very much for your time today, David. Really no appreciate problem. it. Loads no, of insights. You've got my, well, you got my mind flowing on so many different things, but we'll end up down a, you know, a few different rabbit holes if we <laughs> stay here any longer. But no, I really appreciate your time. Um, really great insights. I'm sure that will be echoed by everyone that listens to this as well. But again, massive thank you for your time, Dave. Thank you, mate. Thanks for having me on.